to create a team that can also be exciting and and informative and follow your values and your culture onto that mat space um, is so important because then you can be your best as well, not just on the floor, but off the floor where you can problem solve for parents and students off the mat because that's just as important as what they're learning on the mat. So um, the moment I switched over to that way of thinking, it all started to change. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I oh, am. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com. George Faree. This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. G'day, George here. Welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. And... Today I've got a repeat guest with me, really happy to have Brett Fenton back. Good night, Brett. Hey, George. Good to be back on the podcast again. Yeah, cool. So last time we spoke, things were a bit different, right? We were just lockdowns, moving in and out, and we were talking about virtual gradings, a few epic things that we were doing. If anybody wants to backtrack on that, uh, episode 98. But today, I want to talk about something else. You know, we, I chat to Brett every week in our partners group, uh, in our coaching calls and Brett's always got a ton of value to share. And one thing that's come up is Brett runs about 70 classes per week at Red Dragon Martial Arts, and he's only teaching six. And I want to get down to, uh, you know, the number one question school owners always ask me is, you know, how do we get more instructors? How do we go about that process? And so I want to, on your behalf, pick Brett's brain today and just get all the insights on how that's gone about. Um, so Brett, just a, I guess a quick intro for those that haven't listened to the previous podcast. Uh, just give a quick roundup on your background, where you're based, what you guys do and so forth. Absolutely, George. Um, so I've been doing martial arts pretty much all my life, but I got really serious when my late teens got started doing Wing Chun Kung Fu, Jiao Ga Kung Fu and some Tai Chi. Um, started teaching classes as I think most of us do is just you're the standout student in the class. And so you get thrown up the front to run warm ups and then all of a sudden you're, you're good at that. So then you start teaching classes. So I was doing that in the early 90s. Uh, I had my first school in 94. And then I started uh, Red Dragon Martial Arts in 97. So we're about to hit uh, 24 years of running classes. And that's changed, obviously, from the small community hall where we had 20 students. Now we're over 400 students. Uh, we only had two classes a week. Now we have 70 classes a week. And we have two training rooms, a gym, full-time professional facility, uh, instructor team of over 20. And yeah, as, as you said, I, I only run six of those classes at best um, on any given week. And um, I love writing classes. I love teaching classes. I teach probably more private lessons than I teach classes. I'll do probably between 10 and 20 private lessons a week. And that's where I try to add more value to um, our teaching staff, I suppose, um, in that element. So I'm teaching the instructors or our uh, elite athletes. But um, yeah, it's about, I, I was that instructor that 
basically taught classes for free, um, was pulled off the bench for no reason other than I was good. And I wanted to come up with a better way of doing it. And so I've been lucky enough over the last few years to hang out and pick the brains of some of the best people in the world, like Dave Cover, Roland Osborne, um, those kind of guys, and just um, learn as much as I can. Fred De Palma is another one. So uh, they're my mentors. And so this is kind of my variation and version of that that works well in my school. So, yeah, that's what we're going to probably chat about today. Yeah, perfect. So, I mean, you've, you've implemented that really well, you know, just by your, your lifestyle. I mean, let's talk about that, right? Because, you know, a couple of months ago you got you got married. Congratulations. And, Thank you. And you were able to completely switch off, completely switch off, go on a honeymoon. I think you had two honeymoons, didn't you? Well, we'll get to that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and, and so, but I mean, if you know, for the purpose of this, you were able to take a break, uh, leave things over to your team, go on a holiday, get back with a school that has grown and retained its students. So, how do you go about that? Like, where do you start going from, you know, just it's, it's a one man show and you know, obviously you grow a team but that you can actually have the confidence and faith in your team that you can take that complete step back. Oh, absolutely. Um, I still remember, and it doesn't happen as much these days, but up until 10 years ago, I couldn't even leave the floor without parents going, oh, the class doesn't run as good without you. You're the superstar instructor. We pay for you. And that was, I think all instructors and particularly school owners feel that pain that they can't even have a day off. They come in sick, like like eyes hanging out of their head. They're exhausted. And so my my retort, I suppose, to, to customers and parents alike would be to say to them, if I teach less classes, when I'm on that floor, I'm fresh, I'm invigorated, I'm excited, I, I love being on there. Um, but when if I'm on there for, like I was teaching 40 classes a week at one stage 10 years ago, just because oh, I needed to be on the floor and I didn't have a team that was capable without me. But there were days where I wasn't a great instructor, I was cranky, I was exhausted, I was burnt out. Like they don't, they're not getting the best of you when you're like that. So to create a team that can also be exciting and and informative and follow your values and your culture onto that mat space um, is so important because then you can be your best as well, not just on the floor, but off the floor where you can problem solve for parents and students off the mat because that's just as important as what they're learning on the mat. So um, the moment I switched over to that way of thinking, it all started to change. And yeah, like, as you said, like just got married um, about three months ago. Uh, we went to Tasmania, spent two weeks in isolation with no reception and everything went smoothly, came back, was back for about two weeks. And then I took my wife away for her 50th birthday and in the Sundays on a yacht when we didn't have any reception there either for a week. So um, love, love the, the, the ability to do that um, and know that my team are looking after their baby as much as it is my baby because they love the place. It's they're invested in it. They've grown up there, uh, so it's really important to to know um, who to pick when it comes to that, so that you have that peace of mind when you go away and have some days off. Let alone if you're sick or unwell, because I see too many martial arts schools out there close their doors for the day because the instructor's sick, and you just can't do that and be professional at the same time. Yeah, cool. So I like what you said that they take care of their baby as much as it is yours. So before we get into, you know, the biggest obstacles and, and how 
school owners have got to make this transition. I'd like to talk about culture. Like, how did you install that culture? And uh, and before we get to that, we've got a really great download for you for something that's going to really help you on choosing the right instructor. You know, what ethics and um, characteristics you really got to got to look out for. And I'll, I'll mention how we can get how you can grab that. But let's chat about culture. How did you go about in installing that culture within your within your team? No worries. So uh, a number of years back, we um, we actually went through a bit of a, um, a slump with our culture, had a few changes, a few instructors leave. Um, and it happens You in business for 25 years. Um, there are going to be shifts in culture, uh, particularly when I change direction and I and I see a way of changing. There's always going to happen. And we've had that happen probably five different times over 25 years. And um and it can be just as simple as we're adding a new program or we decide we want to go from being a small time community hall to having our own facility. And there were people that didn't like that idea. They thought that, no, that's not martial arts. And then going from that to having multiple rooms with like air conditioning and that's like, well, now that's not martial arts to some of your instructors. That's like you're turning into a gym. So we had a lot of uh, obstacles to overcome to keep growing and going in the direction that I thought that um, – the school needed to go in, but also where I thought the majority of my students deserved to have their school go in. So uh, I'm always looking out for them to have the best facilities, the best instructing that they can have. And so, but that doesn't come without its challenges. And um, basically we sat down with a um, an expert that is an expert in, in culture. And I'm lucky enough, my wife's also a culture um, manager. She works in the culture industry in her, her business. So she um, along with uh, one of my best friends, uh, Matt. Um, he lives in Canberra and he's um, big on culture there. They came together and we created these um, uh, value systems for our school that we are unbreakable uh, rules that we run our business by and run our school by. And so then they're up on the wall in massive um, uh, posters. And so things like um, we believe, and they're all belief statements, and we believe that everybody has the opportunity to become a black belt. Um, not just the athletes. So things like that. Uh, we believe that nobody should blow another person's candle out. So we have all these belief systems um, and they're everywhere uh, throughout our school. And so that tells everyone, this is what we believe in. Um, I'm also a massive Simon Sinek fan and, um, and he's obviously worldwide. He gets brought into businesses to uh, help with culture. And I've listened to all of his podcasts, his interviews, his books, um, his TED Talks, you name it. And so for me, culture is the, the the number one thing as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't matter what you teach. It doesn't matter if you're doing martial arts, gymnastics, dance. I don't care. If your culture is not right, um, you'll never grow and you'll never have harmony inside there and you'll never have a day off because you'll be, you'll be having to micromanage your team all the time. And so I don't micromanage my team. I actually sit in this office like where I am now. I spend most of my time in this office, even when the class are running, and I pop out, just have chats to the parents. Um, if I get a message on my watch or my phone, um, I don't teach classes. I've got cameras right above me where I am right now. Uh, there's 12 cameras. I can look up there and see how it's all going if I really want to. But at the end of the day, I trust my team. Uh, they're well-trained. We do monthly training sessions where we go through any of the issues we had during the last month. We note it all, we fix it all, and we move on. So, and we listen to our feedback from our from our students and our our parents. So, yeah, it's all important, um, and it's an ongoing process that doesn't happen overnight. But yeah, it has to happen. 
All right, perfect. So you're installing the beliefs. And so that's very known amongst the culture within the students. So, so that helps. Now, how does this transition over when you start trying to spot the talent and seeing, all right, well, who's the next instructor? How does it go from being a student to transitioning someone and inviting them to, to become an instructor? Uh, very important, George, in the fact that I think we already do it when the day we have people come in and do a trial class. Um, we're very big on not just accepting everybody as a student. So they have to have pretty much the same, uh, I suppose, values that we have anyway. So it doesn't matter if you come in and you go, oh, I'm a 10-time world champion and and you've got a bad attitude. I'm probably not going to accept you as a student. I'll go, mate, just go down the road or, or go to the AIS or wherever you need to go to to, to feed that that ego. Um, I'm looking for people that are like-minded to us, uh, have the same values or want the same values and want to train hard. They want to enjoy their training. They want to be nice to everybody. They're not there for their own selfish reasons all the time so it's pretty much from the day they walk in for their trial we're almost pre-editing the instructor team by that then that leads us down the path to maybe a month or two in and we see people that are training really hard everybody kind of gravitates towards them their, their personality is infectious um, and that's a big thing i always uh my instructor team it's always on personality first and then skill and talent is way way down the track um because you can't teach personality. You literally can get someone who's very technical and very skilled and put a, an entire class to sleep because they get down that rabbit hole of technical stuff. But you get someone who's personable, who's what we like to call Disney. Um, so they're very exciting. Everybody loves to be around them. They can teach people uh, opening letters and that would be an exciting class. So um, it doesn't matter what they're teaching, which makes it easy because you can get them when they're only six to 12 months down the track teaching how to kick something or how to punch something or how to hold a kick shield or how to do one technique. But the way they teach it will be amazing. Um, and that's our number one, I suppose, way of, of kind of wading through all of the student body to find the, the diamonds in the rough. Uh, we do that from personality first and then we teach them the skills, not just the martial arts skills, but the teaching skills, which is so important, how to pass on your knowledge. So why Disney? Uh, I think Disney's been doing it for nearly a hundred years. They've been, and they've always improved on what they've done. Uh, and in the industry all over the world, uh, managers and business owners from all over the world actually go to Disney's, their college where they learn how to do, um, staff management, how they get to present and perform, um, at a, at an elite level. And I often say that our instructors, that when we're out there teaching, we're not just passing on on knowledge. Every parent and every kid that's watching us, we're performing at the same time. And so how we perform um, in front of them will keep them engaged. And I think back to when I was in, in school, the the number one teachers that, that always got the information across to me best were the ones that engaged me very well. And so we want our instructors to be very engaging, uh, very likable, and... Um, and very knowledgeable, obviously. So we have to make sure that we start with them being likable because nobody's going to listen to them if they're not. They're just going to switch off. And so it doesn't matter how skilled they are. So yeah, Disney does it best, I think. One of the and they still do it to this day. Run a run a course on that. So very very um, useful to learn. All right, perfect. So where I'd like to go with this, I want to make this 
episode super practical. Now, um, full disclosure, we've, uh, Brett and I work together on a, on a course. It's called the Instructor Team Blueprint. Um, I'll talk more about that, but really what I want to do in this episode is I want to, I want to extract some things from the course that was really useful, but I think that can make the most impact from the get-go. And if I think the, the number one uh, question that always comes up in our group is, how do you go about finding the right instructors or inviting them? How does that process go? I want to dive a bit more into that. And then as a gift with this episode, if you download the actual transcript, uh, we'll include the, the character trait clarifier, which is basically a list of you know what character traits you're looking for and how you go about finding that in the instructor that, that you want. So, but to bring that back to here, let's talk about spotting the talent. Like you, you mentioned, right, you've, you know, you've planted a seed from the get-go. How, how does it go from there? How do you, how do you get people on board your team and, and take it from there? No worries, George. So um, first thing is obviously uh, spotting the talent is to go up to them and say, you're really like skilled at their skill and um you know you'd make a really good instructor one day if you see them naturally just going over and helping other people that's a very clear indicator but um just by someone who's at the school they don't miss classes when they grade they grade at a really high level um they're high high personable so they're they're um they're, they're disney and um so once you start to see that that's when you can approach them and say listen well, i think Further down the track, you become a really good instructor. Have you ever thought about becoming one? And if they, if they say, no, I hadn't, but that's pretty cool. You go, well, we do instructor training once a month. You're more than welcome to come along and have a look at it and see if you enjoy it. And if you do, you can come to that until such time as you feel that you're confident enough to start helping us out. And then just giving them small roles as they go. And just, it might be, do you want to come in? once a week and help with our three to six year old class or our seven to 12 year old class or our adult class, whichever one they like. And then from there, it just grows. It's um, again, growing their, their ability to stand in front of an audience, uh, their ability to have confidence in their knowledge. Cause even though they, they may present really well in a grading when they come to, to teach somebody else, they may like, you know, find that they get too nervous. They can't talk. So we need to teach them the skills of doing that. And we do mock, uh, classes when we do our instructor training to help people get through their um, their anxiety when it comes to teaching if they struggle. And a lot of our um, instructors, funnily enough, uh, have a lot of anxiety. And this is one of the best things for them because they learn to cope with their anxiety. They learn the tools to use, whether it's the breathing tools, mindset drills, things like that. And it just makes them even better martial artists because now they're not worried all the time. Uh, they can stand up in front of an audience being their class and present and uh that they take that out into the into the real world as well and it makes them better out there as as um in their whether they're working or just in their personal life all right so so just backtracking right so they've you've invited them they, they come to instructor training how does it progress from that point so with our our adults, they'll just basically go up until uh, an advanced rank. When when they get to an advanced rank, they'll they can start assisting in classes if they've been doing the instructor training, because we don't want anyone assisting until they've been through our instructor training, because they don't know the the correct language to use, they don't know the correct way to to correct. They might just go up to a kid and just go, "That's terrible, fix it." And and that could be the day that that poor kid's come in and he's having a hard day as it is, and then you've had this 
assistant instructor come in for his very first class, has no idea what your culture is on the floor when it comes to teaching, and that kid's now, you know, I don't want to train anymore, and he leaves. And so you can lose students quickly that way. And so we want to make sure that all of our uh, assistant instructors know what to say, how to say it. They are empathetic as well as being personable. Uh, for our junior instructors, so we have junior uh, what we call black belt club they go into that after they get to an intermediate belt that means that they can come out and they can show other kids how to do things like push-ups how they can hold pads and kick shields um, they can direct them they can help set up the floor but again they still come to our instructor training so they because we don't want them again using the wrong terminology um, using the wrong communication skills and so we can have uh, like 10 year olds um, out there doing that. And we have some really good eight to 10 year olds that will help. They'll be partners in our jujitsu program where it's so hard for a three to six year old sometimes to partner up with another kid because they just don't understand role playing and, and taking turns. So um, we usually put them with one of our juniors and they do the techniques on them. And then that makes it a lot easier and you get through a class a lot faster and at a higher level. And so, and then once they've been doing that up to about the age of 14, we then put them into our junior instructor program. And that will be, like say, in our Kung Fu, it'll be our SWAT team. Uh, in our extreme, it's our X team. In our Jiu Jitsu, it's our sub club. So we have a variety of different levels. And um, then that means that they can actually take a group on their own. So they have a group of kids. Usually when they first start, it'll be the white belts um, because they're, they're easy to teach. They're, they're keen for knowledge. They, um, they look up to these kids. And um, basically build their skills out on the floor while they're still doing their instructor training every month. Uh, once they get up to an adult, they can then go up to a senior instructor level. And whether they're being paid or not, it's up to them. Uh, if they are being paid, though, we don't start them until they're 14 years of age. So uh, and just and they must be volunteering first to to basically make sure that they are part of our culture on the floor as an instructor, not just there for the money. Yeah, cool. So, and funny enough, we, we just spoke a bit about this on our Partners Power Hour call earlier, but let's talk about uh, money and compensation because that's another question that comes up. How do you compensate instructors? When do you start paying? When do you not pay? Or is it different for everyone? How do you go about, about that? And obviously taking into consideration, we've got an international audience, so we'll leave the Australian terms out, but just in a, yeah. in, in a general concept. So it depends on the student. It's, again, coming down to knowing what your students' goals are. Why are they teaching at the end of the day? For some of our instructors, they've been teaching for 10 years. They don't want a dime. They actually find it an insulting. It's an insult if they if they get paid because we can't actually pay them what they're worth. Um, like if they're a, I don't know, if I've got a lawyer who wants to teach class, I can't pay him $200 an hour to teach my class. So and he's not going to give up his job. He just loves doing it because it makes him feel valued. Okay, So there's a lot of uh, value in contributing back into the school as an instructor. I did it for a good 15 years before even seeing a dime. But I love it. It was my apprenticeship, I always call it, um, in instructing. And so for some people, that's all they want. And they'll teach one class, maybe two classes a week. There's no expectation for them to teach. Um, but they love it and they do it and they Sometimes it's for decades. Uh, but then you've got the instructors that go, you know what, I'd rather do this than do a normal, a normal job. And I don't want to do a normal job. I want to do this. And they're, whether they're coming out of high school, they're in their late teens, and they go, I want to do this. Then we, we talk about them going into that 
down that pathway of becoming a qualified instructor, uh, being paid. And I've got one instructor that's been here for uh, 10 years and he's been paid more in the last 10 years than any of our other instructors just because he is a superstar and he can ask me to go anywhere all over the world to back when we could fly places. Um, and I'd go, sure, just make sure you get back here in a couple of weeks. So he's that valuable. Um, and then I've got instructors that were six year olds and now 20 year olds and they're, they don't want to have a normal job. So they're getting paid as well. So it really depends on what their goals are and where they see their future. If they just want to teach one class a week or two classes a week and they love teaching and they don't want to be remunerated, that's fine. We don't pay them, but we give them so many other bonuses. We give them stuff like they get uniforms, they get like, gifts all the time um if if i think they deserve something they they'll i'll give them, i'll take them out to dinner you name it we just make sure that they feel special um it's it's one of those things they they need to feel valued more so than the the financial side of it and that's why a lot of people volunteer in the first place is it's that value that they they feel for their contribution so we don't want to um undermine that perfect so sometimes paid sometimes not just depends on on the person. And uh, one thing that we were discussing, as as you mentioned as well, uh, it's important that you pay. You can't pay a lawyer two hundred dollars an hour type of thing. So you you got to have the balance. Obviously, if you've got to pay someone, that you pay them a, something that's valued, but also not a not an insult. And for those people, it might be better for them to have the social norm of just being able to to contribute and be valued in a different in a different way. Absolutely. Like they may also get paid really well on their job, but where they are, they they don't have that uh, that esteem. Like they're not they're not put up on the pedals. They might be like a mechanic who who earns fifty bucks an hour, but nobody even talks to him. So, it, it, but then all of a sudden he's out on the floor and he's a black belt, and everybody is listening to every word that he says. You can't buy that. He like that's that's just pure pride that he loves. And you couldn't pay him for it. And like, like think about it. Most of our instructors paid to be in that position. They they paid fees to get to that position, like I did when I was training. So um, yeah, we just want to make sure they feel valued and that we appreciate everything they do and that they are um, held in esteem with our student base. Just interesting. Let's flip the tables quickly. What happens when it goes not to plan and you get the instructor that? is not aligned with the beliefs or they were aligned with the beliefs but the ego is growing with the position um, or you know they're just getting off track or something happens in their life and it derails them and they start to separate with the alignment where you and the club is, are going versus yep. on their journey how do you deal with that type of conflict oh there's, there's obviously a number of ways that people do deal with it like as martial arts school owners i'm sure that um like I've had it happen to me so many times over the years. It's just it it's just becomes part of parcel of students leaving, instructors leave. It's just what happens. Um, so there's a few ways you can deal with it. Um, you can be obviously uh, nasty about it and just kick them out. Uh, you can um, force them out by you know taking away uh, their shifts or whatever, or you can just have someone come in and take over their class. But I I like to think from another way and go, okay, what do I need to do, like obviously I don't want you here because you're not good for our culture. I can either get them to come back on board with our culture, which is plan, plan a plan B is to then go. So how can I help you to go out and do your own thing? So, uh, and whether that's going and teaching for somebody else, because it usually is only around the, the instructor that 
has their own opinions on how it should happen and they're not in line with my opinions or the school owner's opinions and so then there's going to be that 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 fraction happening inside the classes all the time and so that person probably needs to go and run their own school and so then you go down the pathway of okay well which way would you like to do it would you like to do it with my support would you like to do it as like our our branding without our branding or do you just want to just go and do your own thing and so you give them some avenues to go down um we've had ones that have gone just down their own way and and not wanted any help whatsoever um we've had some that have gone with help uh so it, it, it at the end of the day you're looking at their future still like you would any other instructor and if it doesn't align with the direction we're going in that's okay because we can't all go down the same path um, I want to try and make it as amicable as possible. I don't want to have them out there being competition, as they say. Um, I'd like them to be on the same page as us and looking out for each other. I'm still great friends with all my instructors of 30 plus years. So, and I had to do the same thing at some stage to them. I had to go out my own, but I did it respectfully and because I saw a different pathway that I wanted to go down and um, I was respectful. Um, and I'm still in contact with them and I still train with them and I still get them to come in and guest instruct and all that stuff happens. So, yeah, it's understanding where you've come from and then understanding where you want to go. And I understand it from my perspective and their perspective. So I think that takes a little bit of empathy to understand it from the other person's perspective. It's not, not the wrong thing to do. Um, they just got a different direction they want to go in. And so we help them. Yeah, totally, because that is, that is a concern a lot of school owners mention is you don't want to get someone on board you, you make them the star of the school and they decide they're too entrepreneurial and they want to go open up their own school and the intention was just to grab what they can and they, they make a run for it. But what you're saying is you're just approaching that with a bit more of an empathetic approach and, and you want to make sure you instill those values and that there is an open path that people can, can lead. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've been down the path where I've had instructors just leave and, and not tell me and then go and open up in opposition. And I think as long-term instructors, we've all had that happen. And that's just because we didn't read the warning signs early enough. And um, and that's part of growing. Like I, we often talk about in the industry, like you, you get a black belt, doesn't mean to say you're an instructor. But then after you've been instructing for, say, a good 10 years, you're probably then a black belt instructor if you've been doing it properly. And then after you've owned your school probably for 20 years, maybe now you're a black belt school owner. And so you try to look at it in that kind of vein that you're, you've got to be improving your skills as an instructor, but then also as in a school owner. And then as a business owner, they're all skills that you need to be growing. And um, part of growing as a business owner is understanding that your staff will want to leave at some stage, like students want to leave, and that you've got to find uh, an amicable way of have, making that happen. Um, so that, like, if they need to come back to you for help later on, they, there's, there's, a, there's a doorway with, for them to come through because if they leave under bad terms, then they don't feel like there is a doorway or there usually isn't because it's not amicable. So, um, and I've been down that path many times and, and would have preferred it not to be that way. But uh, these days, I'm, I'm a lot better than that. So, and that just comes from experience. It's the only, the only true way of getting it is to go through it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I like uh, Ross Cameron's philosophy. He calls it, he calls it the bus. You know, everyone's on the bus. They get on the bus, and sometimes they jump off the bus. And you know, you, you help them get from one place to the next, and it's their mm. time to hop off the bus and go do their own thing. Yep. 
Yep, you can't you can't get upset about it. You you helped them in their journey to where they got to, and and the fact that people will stay for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years is is crazy. Like that that they want to stay that long. Um, uh, that means you've done something right. And rather than looking at it from the point of what did I do wrong for them to leave, you've got to look at it from the perspective of that you did something right for a very long period of time. So and and then learn from it. So, and that's what we're always trying to do. I'm definitely trying to do that all the time. Perfect at it, not, um, but I'm always trying to improve the way I do it. Awesome. So, uh, we wanted to include a couple of things and resources you could use from this episode. So, if you go to the to the website, if you're listening to this, martialartsmedia.com forward slash 119, uh, that's where all the resources for this episode is going to look. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, Brett and I, we spent some time and my job was to extract everything out of Brett's mind and help him put together a, a program that covers the instructor team blueprint in six steps. So we've gone from the team scale plan, how to uh, how to assess how many instructors you're going to need and, and fulfilling those positions, spotting the right talent, systemizing the training accordingly. We ran an instructor uh, training bootcamp, how to do that, rewards and recognition, payments, and a whole bunch of other things. So. From what we just discussed, and Brett, I might put you on the spot here. Forgive me. That's okay. When you download the transcript of this podcast, we've included the the character trait clarifier. So it's basically a list of what you're looking for as a work ethic, popularity, their passion, communication, leadership skills, and just going through a process of how to basically score people, score your students and see who the right people, if they've got the right attributes and right beliefs and right character traits to be become an instructor. And putting you on the spot, Brett, but we also, you know, just, just talking, it reminded me of, you know, people kind of find it hard to get people to transition from student to instructor and how that process goes. And you've got something called the instructor letter of offer. Yep. Uh, you mind telling us about that? And then I want to ask if you wouldn't mind including it. <laughs> okay, no worries. Uh, absolutely, I can definitely include that in the, I'll send it through to you. So it basically is a formal letter that we would send out to an instructor that's maybe been doing the the instructor training, um, like they've come in, maybe done one session, and we've gone, you know what, we think that they would be the right fit. Now it can be a teenager, it can be an adult, doesn't matter. It can be even a kid if you really want to start your junior instructor team that way. Just as the formal part of it just states everything that you expect of them, um, that you found that they would be the right fit. They have all the, the, the necessary skills as far as their personality goes and they fit the culture. So it's really important that they understand what they're in for, that it's an important role. That's not just being plucked off the floor and put up on the front of the class, which we obviously, we still do that to this day. Like we have instructors, but they all, we don't pick on anyone that doesn't do instructor training, but um you have to start somewhere and i remember getting plucked off and just put on the front of the stage and here you go run a warm-up so there's better ways to do it so um during class walk around find the right people find if they're interested invite them to the first session if after that they seem interested they do a really good job then you can send them the the offer to become a to, to join our instructor training squad and um, yeah, go from there. Uh, and you can have levels of that. Like you could have 
uh, write the letter for, we'd like you to become a junior instructor, or you'd like you to become an assistant instructor, a senior instructor. You can, you can basically format it to suit whatever your needs are, but just the sheer fact of getting something in the post that's formally saying that you want to be in, we want you in our team. That's a pretty proud moment for most people. So, um, rather than just coming up and slapping them on the back going, Hey, you want to be an instructor? <laughs> so it's, um, a big difference in, in the mindset then. It just shows it. It's how much we think about these things. It's professional. Perfect. All right. So, Brett, thanks for that. We'll include that with the transcript. Um, and as a bonus, we'll also, what we'll extract is just with the character trait clarifier, there's a snippet in module two of how we went about that and um, how you go about working with that. Um, I'll get our video editor to just edit, uh, give you that snippet that you know how to work through the worksheet and it's, yeah, you know how to go through the, the PDF. Other than that, Brits, thanks so much. I mean, if you've got anything to add about oh, the instructor team blueprint, um, just for reference, if you, if you want to grab the course, you can go to martialartsmedia.com forward slash courses and just look for the instructor team blueprint. Um, it's, it's up there. It's, it's really good value for, yeah, for the amount of knowledge and, and, and work that's gone into it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really good value. Brett, you got anything to add on that uh, about the, about the program? I, I think that. I wish it had been around 20 something years ago when I was first teaching classes um, and I had to travel all over the world to do that and um, and then bring instructors from overseas to here. And it's just been one of those things that as um, I know all of us long-term school owners wished we had more information back when we did, but now we do. And so it's just a, a combination of 25, 30 years of teaching and all the things that I did incorrectly and correctly fine-tuned into a nice easy to learn and use course that I think would suit anybody that's trying to grow their school and not want to be at their school 24-7 teaching every single class till they're 85 so um, I don't want to retire this is my retirement when I'm, when I'm at my school I like being here but I would hate to think that uh, I'd be like my instructor who one of my instructors is in his 70s and if he's not at the school, it's closed. So I don't want to be that. I want to be able to take time off. I want to be able to, you know, be unwell and not have to get up and go to my class and teach. Like, thank God I didn't have to worry with COVID. So um, like even to the point where my team is so proficient that we did lockdown last week. I taught no classes. They were so good. They teach it all. Um, it was amazing. So I just go here. There's Zoom. Off you go. Um, they just report back to me how it went. So it's perfect. Uh, it allows you to have a life, allows you to have your family, allows you to, to do other things, um, and it allows you to really enjoy your martial arts again and enjoy your enjoy your school rather than being stressed out about it all the time. So, yeah, it costs you a bit of money to, to pay a really good team, but it's worth it in the long run for sure. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Cool, Brett. Thanks so much. Great having you back My on pleasure. again. And uh, we'll... Chat again next week. See you soon. Cheers. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now, and or just have a, a gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group and in there, I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work, help school owners grow, and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So uh, it's called the Martial Arts Media Community, 
And an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name martialartsmedia.group. So martialartsmedia.group, G-R-O-U-P. Uh, there's no .com or anything, martialartsmedia.group. That will take you straight there. Uh, request to join and I will accept your invitation. Thanks. I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. We'll conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.